It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 143, Elijah at Mount Horeb, and the Still Small Voice. After the events at Mount Carmel, northern Israel was stunned by the power of God, a power prophet in their midst, and the death of the Gestapo demonic priest of Baal. All of Israel, if they dared to say a word, only circulated the story of what happened and the power of God at Mount Carmel. Ahab went back to his palace and shared everything with his wife. It appears Elijah settled into an inn or hotel of sorts across from the palace, expecting something to happen, and it appears he settles in for a nap. A serious, much-needed nap. Check out the exertion he incurred the day before. Elijah just sat under the hot sun all day long with little rest, little water. Then he became God's funnel of power. Then he ran 17 miles faster than a chariot. By all human accounts, he should be resting the entirety of the next few days or weeks. So here is a personal reflection. I played high school and college soccer. At the end of high school, we would travel to soccer tournaments and play up to five games a weekend, which is about 10 hours of running in the heat. I remember that I would basically sleep sometimes about 14 hours a night after these tournaments. Physically, no matter how good a shape you are in, the body requires a sudden rest and recovery time period after extreme exercise. Elijah should be physically done, not to mention spiritually done. He's exhausted. Spiritually, one could say he was really, really full after being God's instrument of power, but the body can only handle so much. But he's checked out physically after the 17-mile run, which is almost the only way to understand what happens next. He's tired. He's worn out. He needs rest. He's exhausted. He's really beyond his human limits. And Jezebel has something to say about it. 1 Kings 19 Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me ever be so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Alright, so let's say Elijah has only gotten a little rest, and a threat comes in his way, and Elijah bolts. If If you want a deeper dive into fear and the many explanations of it, The David going to Ziglag episode, or the one before it, really explores the concept of fear and men running from competition, or just any conflict. When decisions are made that make absolutely no sense, it must be fear. Now before we cover Elijah's run south, we should discuss what on earth he was thinking. Maybe he was thinking since he had Ahab convinced of the power of God, Jezebel would follow. It's probably the most practical, you know, consideration here. But that's the thing about Jezebel. She was not a submissive wife. It was Ahab who was the submissive one. Jezebel ruled the kingdom and her marriage. 
When Ahab gave her the news, she went off the rails and had soldiers probably posted everywhere at the inn Elijah was staying in to kill him when he awoke. I have to think Elijah was honestly just being obedient to God, and he wasn't really sure what to do next until the next moment came or when he heard God's voice again or when he sought God. He probably wasn't supposed to go to Jezreel, but he did. Unfortunately, it doesn't say, and Elijah prayed to God and God said, go south. It's like he missed God in this moment in Jezreel because of his extreme exhaustion. I believe he was hoping for God to do something amazing, like have Ahab and Jezebel bow a knee to God, but this didn't happen. When he finds out he's still enemy number one, even after Carmel, exhausted, worn out, miracle overloaded, spent malnourished Elijah mixed a lie into his thinking, which caused him to flee for his life. The lie we will find out is that he was all alone. Mixed with the lie of being alone, an extreme exhaustion, physical depletion was too much for him. Darkness is always looking for a hole, and it found one in his weakened physical state and his belief in a subtle lie that he was the last of the Lord's prophets. Alone or in a sea of darkness, he had no one, no body of Christ, no church, no family, no friends. He was all alone a prophet and isolated, out of hiding, and ready to be picked off. Elijah ran. Again, like before, he didn't just run. He ran to Beersheba, almost the furthest south you can go to Judah. A long, long way. And I scratch my head and almost think, he probably should have stopped at Jerusalem and had a chat with the Levites or talked to Jehoshaphat. But he just kept going. 1 Kings 19.3 Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Yep, that's what I just read. He went to a broom bush, rested under it, and prayed God would take his life. Okay, so that makes no sense. The victor of Carmel is now suicidal. Doesn't make sense at all. First of all, he agreed with fear and ran for his life, most likely against or out of God's will, now a sitting duck to the enemy. And the most dangerous place to be is out of God's will. He freaked out in a super bad way, and there's some clues here. What's going on? He sat under a broom bush. So we can study the broom bush, but it speaks to itself. As far as I can remember, there's one primary connotation or association with brooms, except, of course, brooms are used to clean a porch and clean a house and such. But, but brooms are usually associated with witches. It's witchcraft. Witches flying on brooms, witches and brooms, they go way back. Elijah sat under a broom bush and he wanted to kill himself. When Elijah rested under the broom bush, there's a strong implication here that he's being cursed or witchcraft is being hurled against him. We'll find out later, Elijah wasn't honestly supposed to have journeyed south like this, but he did. And of course, God meets him and restores this man. 
Check out what happens next. First Kings 19.5 All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Did you catch it? It said the angel of the Lord. According to our coverage during the encounters during the book of Judges, when this occurs, this is most likely the pre-incarnate Christ visiting someone. Elijah, who was in the wrong spirit, failed to recognize God in the flesh. And how confirming is this when the bread of life himself makes fresh bread for Elijah? Next, he travels 40 days and nights, apparently without food, just like Moses. And we're going to see tons of parallels because Moses, of course, encountered God at Mount Sinai. And here is Elijah to encounter God at Mount Horeb. 1 Kings 19.9 And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So what's about to happen is legendary. And I call this legendary, not because it's a legend or not true, but it's such an incredible story. So to me, it's just legendary and true. Most of the allusions are to Moses on the mountaintop at Mount Sinai. It's called Horeb here, but most commentaries and Jewish traditional references state this is the same place. Do the like comparisons of the accounts. Just the last sentence alone suffices to put it together so perfectly. Moses was on Mount Sinai, and he asked the Lord to show him his glory. And he said to stand in his presence as he passed by, which is the same language here with Elijah. When it said, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. There's so many comparisons to the two events. It's pretty amazing. 1 Kings 19.11 Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Alright, so there was a wind that tore the mountains apart, which must have been beyond gale force winds, for it split rock. Then there was an earthquake. Crazy. Then there was a fire. 1 Kings 19.12 And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Is there not a million messages from this simple verse? It's unbelievable. God was not in the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. Technically, he was, but relationship was in the gentle whisper, which follows, which speaks volumes. 1 Kings 19.13 When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So here's the great lie again. In fact, it's repeated twice, word for word, almost like that's all he could say to himself on those 40 days or more journeys. Watch how God politely rebukes and check out the other things coming his way. He gives him generational instructions, and these instructions are going to blow you away. This is God's way with his prophets. He always speaks of the next season. Prophets are the future guys. He speaks to them about the future. Also, God speaks to the end of the matter with Ahab and Jezebel. 1 Kings 19.15 The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shepat, from Abel-Meluah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In summary, anoint the next king of Damascus, anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel, and find and anoint Elisha to be the next Elijah. And he concluded with this, by the way, that thing that you're believing about being alone is stupid. There's 7,000 of you, and they're in hiding. But I haven't called them yet. So now the freaky part. If we stick with our timelines, it's around 865 BC. This might change as we study the timelines more. But the anointing of Haziel, king of Damascus, will not occur for over 20 years or more. At the moment, it appears Jehu will not become king for another 30 years. And Elisha will be called in a matter of weeks or months. Funny, huh? I just wonder what Elijah was thinking when he heard these words. Because he'll actually die before Jehu and Haziel will become anointed kings. Amazing how Elijah was told to do something or received an assignment from God whose fulfillment could only be done in the next generation. The fulfillment of these words can only be done by Elijah's appointed successor, Elisha. Thus, we will learn the importance of generational thinking and fulfillment of God's promises. More on this next week. Makes me just consider what things God has called us to do that are really for our next generation or descendants. A good example of this was David in the temple. God laid it on David's heart, but Solomon was to build it. God chose to judge the house of Ahab over a period of time. Jezebel would be allowed more time until her end would come. The timing of these marching orders to Elijah are spectacular. We just don't think this way. God is so above time and space and our understanding. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we've got to cover the huge significance of God's gentle voice. 
Looking at BibleHub.com and King in 1 Kings 19.12 and referencing this verse, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. Here's all the varying interpretations of the gentle whisper of God. It was also called a low whisper. Another version had it called a still small voice, which is one of my favorites. A soft whisper was another. A whispering voice, another. What a secret code to hearing God's voice. A low whisper, a still small voice. A soft whisper, a gentle whisper, a whispering voice. A meaningful verse to work with as we learn to hear God's voice. Combine this scene with Samuel's speak, Lord, for I am listening, Moses' desire for all of us to be prophets, Apostle Paul's statement to desire the greater gifts like prophecy, and Jesus' statement that my sheep hear my voice. Incredible. These verses unlock relationship prayer. God's desires to hear from and to speak to his people. In essence, God desires us in friendship with us. God is looking for worshipers that are in spirit and truth. Worshippers that know God and His ways and His Bible and His character, His truth, but also those who know Him in relationship and friendship with God, those who worship Him in spirit. Now we ask you, do you know and do you hear the still small voice of God? If so, wonderful. If not, this is something to practice and to learn to practice. This is essential to your walk with God. Most relationships that fail are the consequence of communication errors. Do we talk to God enough? Do we listen to Him and His directions for our lives? Do we hear His voice so that we can obey? If not, set time aside daily just to talk to God and to listen to Him. Put aside religious duties and obligations just to talk to God. This is essential to relationship. Every day to do this, and you will find your relationship with God drastically improve. Now, God speaks in a multitude of ways. Here are some of them. From the still, small voice to an inner knowing that you know that you know that you know something, to God speaking through other people, Christian or even non-Christians, he can talk through. If you doubt this, Caiaphas the high priest prophesied about Jesus, and Balaam's donkey speaks, and God spoke through Balaam the witch. Anything is possible with God. There's the supernatural ways of speaking, like Joseph and Daniel with dreams and visions and experiences. They're speaking through repeated circumstances or unusual events out of normal, and God confirms His Word and speaks through His Word in discipleship and of the preaching of His Word. There's the speaking of God through nature, not speaking through audible languages, though there is three rare examples in the Bible, but through the beauty of nature as spoken by David in the Psalms, or through the revelation of God in his creation. God speaks through a unique presence sometimes. Sometimes I've felt a strong peace in a decision I've made that seems supernatural. Other heavenly attributes are part of his confirmations and communication to us. There is the inner peace, and we spoke of the divine knowing. But I am going out there to say that I would say that I would believe that the still small voice has to be the most common, yet least dramatic, but the most relational way that God speaks. The still small voice can be subdivided into other categories as well. There is the rare external voice called the audible voice of God. There is the inner voice or the inner ear or the inner voice that just seems like one of your own thoughts. There is the inner voice of conviction. 
that can keep us from sin as well. The inner voice can sometimes be harder to distinguish between your thoughts with a still, small voice. This is where we have to have experience. And this is where we have to talk to God. So I say all this because God is speaking. We just have to understand how he was speaking to us. God desires relationship and to speak with us and to hear from us. We just have to be attentive to him. The best way to start this is by asking God questions and to begin a dialogue and to wait and listen. Use a journal to write down your prayers and see how he answers them. Speak to God like someone at lunch or or out for coffee. Find your place in relationship with God. If your place is out on a walking trail and that's where you find God, go. If you go on a bike ride or you go jogging or you escape from work for a lunch and a walk in the city or if you your quiet places in your bedroom, your closet, where do you find God? That's your challenge. The voice of God can be the most encouraging and exciting part of the Christian walk, but at the same time it can be the most difficult to understand. Even in the midst of great wonders, the God of Elijah confirmed himself with the stillest of voices. The lessons hold same for you and me. We must listen to God, speak to Him, and have a relationship with God. This is probably really what Elijah did wrong. After the great power encounter, he didn't talk to God. Instead, he ran. And this is the basics of our walk with God, is that we have to communicate and be in constant communication with God. God, may we be a people that have a simple prayer language and friendship with God. May we find great freedom with the liberties you have taken to just freely speak and to listen to us. Thank you, Lord, that you never quit speaking to us and desire relationship with us. God, we ask you to speak to us more every day. We pray we have an attentive heart to capture when you are speaking, and I pray we find great moments and secret places to speak with you and get to know you better. God, give us a hunger to know you and to have relationship with you like never before. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.